You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Do you want me to just talk about whatever or start asking you questions? Because I can ask you questions. We can reverse roles here if you want. We can roll switch if you want. It's the whole point of a conversation. But welcome to Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Mr. Greg. Hey. Greg, <laughs> please tell everybody why you're so awesome. Because I know why you're awesome. But they need <laughs> Well, presumably the reason I'm here rather than the reason I'm awesome. Uh, I have a little podcast I started back in March called The Goddessy Podcast. Uh, focuses on mythology from all around the world, uh, essentially diving into why we look at these stories, why these stories have stayed with us, and what makes these gods humans and what these gods can tell us about humanity. So do you want my joke answer or do you want my really serious answer? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll give, which one do you want first, the joke one or the serious one? Let's go with the, uh, let's go with the joke. So I've been playing Assassin's Creed, the new one, and I guess you were a targeted ad in my mind because I was like, "What's I want to learn more about Odin and all this stuff. I mm-hmm. know a bit, but I wanted to learn more. And next thing I know, I came across your podcast and I was like, well, this is a sign from the gods. This is like <laughs> a symbol that we must meet. And then the serious one is I think that mythology is really interesting. And what I love about it, same thing kind of with religion is the basis of personifying objects. It's so much more badass to fish if you can think that a giant sea god with a starfish on his dick is like (laughs) is blessing you with an awesome fishing harvest like it to me poseidon greek mythology everything and i have a person i need to connect you with her name is dr valerie got her phd in greek mythology and roman architecture but she has this like we, we went off about greek mythology how awesome it is and i think it's the idea that you give something you're passionate about whether it's fishing whether it's harvest and you believe you put your belief into something and mm-hmm. to watch yes. that transform through tales of demigods of people that are half man half god people with you know abilities it makes life way more fucking fun i'm just it saying <laughs> Yeah, essentially, like, we choose to personify all these different things. And it's not just like the natural world around us. It's also things like the ideas of love and actions and oaths and things like that. Like season one of Goddessy, I focused on the Irish god Lulamfada. Uh, and essentially, he is the god of oaths and loyalty, more or less. That's one of his many things. He's also considered a solar god by some, but that's questionable. Uh, so essentially, he is the god of making sure that you are good on your word even though he himself is a trickster and knows how to basically spin those words. Uh, And so essentially like, yeah, there's essentially there's the natural world around us that we kind of choose to uh, personify in different ways. Like there's Poseidon, the sea God, there's Zeus, the sky God, there's Hades who happens to live under the ground and has a lot of different stuff going on. And then they also have this, uh, all these other interactions, like with the Norse gods in particular, uh, there's actually kind of like the prelude to the major myths that we all know. There's this untold tale of this war between two different groups of gods, the Aesir and the Vanir. And the Aesir are kind of like the gods of ideas, more or less. Like um, 
Odin is the god of death. He is the god of, he's the gallows god. He's the god of uh, honor and justice and all these other things. Thor is the god of humanity and defense of that as well as kind of the natural world. But on the other side of that, the Vanir are the gods of kind of the natural forces. Like uh, Frey is the god of kind of fertility and agriculture. His uh, sister Freya is the god of kind of natural passions. And their father, uh, Njord, is the god of the sea, kind of the Poseidon of the Norse. And uh, essentially, like, these gods have to come together and kind of, like, essentially do this not just for their own sake, but for the sake of the nine worlds. Because if they don't, then the uh, natural elements, um, the giants, as we call them most often in English, will kind of destroy everything. The Jotunheim is, like, yeah. the mm -hmm. main... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. How much did the Thor movie actually really mess it up? Because the <laughs> Thor movie, the way you just described that Freya was seen as, like, this dark goddess of war, not really seen as... Um, which is Thor's sister, if I'm correct. Uh, there's a lot of ways to interpret that, but typically Freya, as she has come down to us, is the daughter of Njord. Njord is the, god, the, uh, the, the god of the sea, uh, whereas Thor is the uh, son of Odin. In some versions, Freya is married to Odin. Uh, sometimes she's seen as Frigg, which in the Thor movies is Thor's mom, which is inaccurate. But uh, there's some question about whether or not Freya and Frigga are the same goddess. Uh, because essentially Freya exists, uh, let's see if I can remember this properly. Uh, Freya is found primarily in the, uh, the Scandinavia and the Norse area, whereas uh, Frigg, uh, no, Frigg is found in the Norse area. No, no, okay, sorry. Frigg is found everywhere in the Germanic pantheon. Uh, the Germanic pantheon includes the Anglo-Saxons, the Germans, different groups like that. Uh, whereas Freya is primarily Scandinavian and the, the, German, the myths that have come down to us have been primarily Scandinavian. Uh, one of the major things they kind of mess up in the Thor movies that bothers me is that uh, Odin uh, or Loki is not the brother of Thor. He is the blood brother of Odin. So essentially, like way back in the day, like they made a blood pact that any time that uh, Loki is in error or wrong, he will always have a seat at Odin's table, no matter what. Why? We don't know. That myth is lost to us. But uh, basically... When Jack Kirby and uh, Stan Lee got together, they decided that, hey, wouldn't it be more interesting if Thor and Loki were brothers? So. Fucking uh, A, the man. They're messing up my mythology <laughs> lessons, dude. I keep looking at it like, because I was playing the Assassin's Creed game. And the one thing where I was like, this might be a lot for some people out there, because as you're, I don't know if you've played the new one yet. But if, not. if you're patrolling onto the Viking seas, it all takes place in the Viking era. Mm -hmm. when, when you're going into England for the first time, you come across a cathedral, a church. And on the church, they're like, what's this? These, these English people, they build their homes in such silly ways. And the guy goes, and they also put their God on the cross. And then they also <laughs> worship them. And they do all these crazy things like eat his bread, which is the flesh. And I'm like, wow, there's like, they're attacking Christianity right now. Mm -hmm. And then like, <laughs> they were like, how silly of that. They don't want to fight to the great halls of Valhalla. But as you're playing through the game, you finally kind of not really die, but you enter what they call the animus, which is like a simulation, but it was mm -hmm. a simulation of Valhalla. It was a constructed thing. And he enjoyed it on the fact that he was able to feast and then fight. And he was more powerful and he felt like it was like ecstasy being in that realm. You would fight and you would get like your strength was 50 times the Hulk. So you were like, holy crap, I'm inhuman. And then right. next thing you realized it, the battle would start over and it'd be this whole replay scenario. Everything was replay where you just feast and fight, feast and fight. And mm -hmm. he goes, this isn't 
what I wanted Valhalla to be. This isn't this isn't fun at all. And then like it was like this conflicting thing. Everything he's been fighting and killing for to finally get there has kind of shifted him into a place where he realizes, wait, this isn't just a hall of heroes and great warriors. This is also like it's kind of like being stuck in like the ether. Like you're the same mm-hmm. shit on replay. <clears throat> Yes, and that's one of the so when, when warriors die in Norse mythology, they go to Valhalla and they're called Inheriar. Inheriar essentially are kind of forced to basically, you die to warrior's death, you're going to live a warrior's afterlife, which is constant battle. And the reason for that is that Odin is essentially kind of trying to collect the greatest warrior souls so that he has the best possible army for Ragnarok. Essentially, Odin has this curse that he knows the future. He knows what's coming. He knows Ragnarok is on the horizon and he is doing everything within his power to, if not stop it, then mitigate the destruction because it will destroy the nine worlds. And unfortunately, he also knows that he is cursed to failure. So everything he's done, like when he sends out his Valkyrie to go pick up these dead souls, um, he knows that he is essentially condemning these people to a lifetime or an afterlife, I guess of uh constant death and i guess the plus side of that is you get to eat and kill people constantly uh so it's kind of refining their souls but kill for a taquito (laughs) (laughs) yeah basically like hey you stole my uh my leg of mutton i'm gonna have to cut your head off tomorrow uh which i imagine builds up a lot of grudge matches as going into the future because like how do you maintain discipline among the dead it's a simpler time man (laughs) (laughs) i guess it is yeah but then I, part of it also bothers me with that is that he knows that this is coming, but he isn't quite like a lot of the actions don't quite add up. So one of the first myths that most people get pointed to is uh, Valuspo. Valuspo is uh, Odin goes to a uh, basically a wise woman who can tell the future, like the Oracle of Delphi. Uh, he goes to her, she's dead, and he goes to her spirit and says, hey, what's going on? Tell me about the future. And so she tells him about the future. She lays it all out. She lays out that Thor is going to be slain by uh, Jormungandar, that he is going to be eaten by the wolf Fenrir, all these things. And despite that, the father of these creatures is going to, is, is Loki. So there's a lot of motivation questions going on there. Is Odin keeping Loki around so he can keep an eye on him up until Ragnarok? Or is Odin, like, why is Odin keeping Loki so close to him? Because he knows that Loki has fathered all these children. He's fathered uh, Hel, the goddess of uh, the realm of the unglorious dead, uh, which the Thor movies didn't didn't quite get accurate, but made a lot more interesting, I thought. Because typically she just sits down there and she's really just kind of brooding and cold. Uh, but whereas in the Thor movies, she's just... Kate Blanchett hamming up everything. Wait, is uh, that the woman with the giant wolf? Yeah, giant wolf. Yeah. And I forget it in the movies if they make that wolf Fenrir or Garm. There's two different wolves. Hell has a wolf, but I think they made that Fenrir. Uh, see, I like Norse mythology just because I've been playing the shit out of Assassin's Creed. But mm-hmm. like, I'm so interested in the Greek mythology only on the basis of I think that one gave the closest representation to our culture today because we pull a lot of things from the Greeks we pull a lot of things from the Romans but when we look at not only like maybe our playwrights or arts and all these crafts and inventions we have today but more on the lines of what we consider I guess easily understandable for us having a god that represents the sea and then the language barriers not so much different compared to with Norse mythology is completely different where maybe if we were in Scotland it would make more sense 
Well, I'm going to push back against that because uh, English is a Germanic language. So if you listen to somebody speak German, uh, it's semi-intelligible if you know what to listen for. But uh, whereas Greek and whatnot, they follow in uh, Greek is a completely different language family. But uh, Latin and the Romance families, they so English is this weird hodgepodge language language. Uh, essentially, English over time has evolved to be more or less 27 percent French, 27 percent German and a little less Latin. And then you throw in some other, like we picked up words from Spanish, we picked up words from Greek, all these different things. So Taco. we use the basic framework of German, but we have some stuff we've brought over like pronunciation, like where we've essentially gotten the German words and we've corrupted them using French. So like, uh, let's think of a good example of that. Uh, all of our days of the week, for example, come from uh, the Norse. So like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those are all Norse gods. So Monday is Muna, uh, Tuesday is Tyr, Wednesday is Odin, Wolten, uh, Thursday is Thor, Friday is Frigga or Freya, depends on how you want to look at it. Saturday is the only day in the English language that we get from the Romans, from Saturn. And then Sunday is from uh, Suna or Sol, who is a sun goddess. Uh, and then essentially we have a lot of other things there, but I would say that uh, we do, particularly in America, like to build up this idea that we are descended culturally from the Greeks and Romans. And we are, we essentially, we, uh, we have our government, we have a lot of our ideas, the traditions of arts and sciences, the way we build up education, all of those are in a very strong manner of thinking uh, Greek and Roman as they have come down to us. Now, that's not to say that the Greeks didn't get their ideas from the Mesopotamians, because uh, that continuum goes back much, much further than the Greeks. We pretend like basically starting about 700 BCE, the Greeks just kind of go for it. But before that, uh, basically every idea the Greeks had prior to just building up their philosophy and some other stuff like democracy, uh, they get it from the uh, basically the Middle East. They get it from the Egyptians and from the Mesopotamians. Uh, but we also focus a lot on things like we get at Romans, but we also have um, about a hundred years ago, there were a lot of people pushing that essentially, oh no, we're not Greek and Roman. They're not, they're not like us. We're more Germanic. So like, uh, for example, Teddy Roosevelt's thesis when he was at university in the 1800s was that uh, America is not descended from a Roman Senate. We're descended from a German thing. So a thing is, and this is an, actually Iceland still calls their parliament a thing. Uh, is essentially a council where a bunch of people come together and they talk about things and then they make it's more or less just a general a legislative body, uh, kind of like our House of Representatives. And so his argument in his thesis, and he was wrong, uh, was that basically we get all of our ideas about culture and strength and masculinity from the Germans, from the Norse, the Vikings, uh, because the English, as we all know, are Germans. So and then, of course, we have World War One and people are like, maybe we should downplay that a little bit. I just look at if you look at Greek mythology or Roman mythology has been easily, I guess, manipulated mm -hmm. or pr has a bigger presence in the media. Yes. When mm -hmm. it comes to any type of movies that come out, like, I mean, as all the time, my first inspiration was Hercules, the Disney movie. And oh, yeah. then mm -hmm. that evolved into a lot of stuff that we learned through our culture in school and our education system is based on Greek mythology. So like. And Roman mythology, learning the planets, oh, yeah. Saturn, everything like that. And mm -hmm. our obsession with space, you start figuring out, wait a minute, what's the name of Pluto? Pluto is Hades mm -hmm. or Pluto is this whole yes. other. And then that's when it finds into that. But like Norse mythology was like this thing you really had to finally dive yes. into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But now that's getting light. So I'm looking at all the different types of lore and what's going to be hit next. Because we've been, at least on my 
understanding is that we've been kind of influenced with a lot of folk tales and legends mm-hmm. and myths based on Greek mythology. I mean, Percy Jackson is a top hitting series, but all oh, those yeah. legends and stuff got taught to you when you were in school. Mm hmm. Yeah. So like essentially since that's been high culture for centuries, basically like Shakespeare's talking about all these things. Like he's using all these references and therefore it becomes embedded in English high like high literature, high culture, high theater. And so basically these have now come down to us that these are the things we're taught in school because they are important. They are high culture. High culture is important to teach to kids because it influences their lives. Never mind that they can't balance a checkbook. But uh, basically, <laughs> but essentially we have, uh, we've got this idea that this is high culture and now we're starting to look around and realize that, Hey, all these other cultures have this too. Like, uh, so the Norse is kind of something that we have started to kind of to incorporate into our culture. I think it had a lot more of effect in England where they had like translations that, uh, were a lot closer. A lot of people in England, I mean, they can read other languages so they can read them in German or they can read them in, uh, Icelandic. Uh, whereas in America, it wasn't until Bellows that we really got a good translation of anything Norse, whereas we've had access to Greeks and Romans for centuries at this point. And everybody, like, they come out with a new translation every so often. Like, uh, I have Edith Hamilton sitting over here in my little library of uh, mythology I've got handy over here. Uh, But I think in reference to talking about, like, what's next, uh, the Norse is something that we're starting to get a lot more interest in, in part because of Marvel, but even with that, I think that they're going to start introducing in the Marvel movies characters like Hercules, and they're going to maybe do other mythologies as well. Because, I mean, we've already hit Ragnarok. We blew up Asgard. What's next? Uh, and, I mean, in the, in the Marvel comics, Hercules is a really big hero. He's a member of the Avengers and all that other stuff, so he's a natural choice. Uh, as far as our cultural obsessions, one thing that's always bothered me is that we have had access to, and in America, we have a lot of Celtic influence, and we haven't lot of, had a lot of Celtic uh, mythology. We've kind of completely ignored Welsh mythology. We have completely ignored Irish mythology. And the Irish mythology has come down to it's more or less intact. Like they're still called gods. Whereas in Wales, they had to sanitize it and change them to, oh, she's a princess. She just happens to have magic powers. It's okay. She's not a goddess. Do you think that's because of the fact of how barbaric the Nordic culture is compared to the other cultures? Like the Greeks are still pretty savage, but a lot of it seems a lot cleaner in their stories rather than the Nords are always about fighting and brutality. Seems like if you're going to build a society like America or something, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't want your influence to be filled on top of war, even though that's what we do every single day. I think it's one of the, we, we more or less build up these myths that uh, essentially, oh, well, these Vikings are just, they're awful people that go around doing all this stuff. In reality, they were a lot like, I mean, the Vikings themselves, people who go Viking, the act of Viking, that's itself a very like destructive action. And we, but we only focus on that. We don't focus on the people who remained in Norway, who were farmers. We don't really focus on like the Norwegian Kings and all the things that are happening back in Norway. We're only focusing on the warrior culture that goes out and more or less founds these little cult, these little kingdoms, more or less. Just like I in, burned uh, somebody's house in down in my video game for no apparent exactly. reason. I just grabbed a torch. The mission mm-hmm. was just toss it at the farmer's house. The house <laughs> burned down, and the dude was like, well, I guess we're going to have to move. I'm like, you're not going to sit on this pile of ash and cry for a couple of days. That's what I'd do if my house and all my belongings burned <laughs> down. Yes. Uh, I- one of the things we also like to ignore is that essentially for uh, for a long time, the Greeks were the place that the more civilized cultures went to for mercenaries. They would go over to uh, places like Turkey where they had the Ionian Greeks and they'd go and say, hey, 
uh, we've got all this gold. If you want it, you can come over here and help me retake my city-state. So basically, the Greeks would be paid during, uh, I guess, we call it the Mediterranean Dark Age or the Bronze Age. Uh, basically, this is when all the myths took place, uh, according to Greek mythology. So in Homer and all these other things, these things are taking place in the Mediterranean Dark Age, which was about 1200 BCE, so about 3000 years ago. Uh, so the Greeks were essentially this pseudo-barbaric culture who was brought in by these civilized, settled city-states that had been, like, basically, they'd been set up for a couple thousand years at this point. And so they were brought in and basically like, hey, come help us do stuff. And eventually that's what happened with the Norse is where they said, hey, why don't you come over here and be a mercenary and help me retake this part of Wessex or this part of Essex. And basically over time, uh, the major factor for the part of this is that the Christianization meant that, well, we don't go do that to Christians. We only do that to pagans. So when the Vikings are eventually converted to Christianity, it becomes less, uh, shall we say, uh, religiously allowable for them to go and do that to Christians. Now, if you want to go do that to, say, Muslims or Jews, that's fine. But you can't go do that to other Christians. So essentially, that kind of sanitizes them over time. And uh, as far as writing down myths, that's one of the things that is kind of miraculous about the Norse is that typically when Christians choose to write down the myths of people that they have recently Christianized, they kind of demonize things, they kind of change things up. Whereas in the Norse myths, uh, Snorri Sturluson kind of just kind of like, I'm going to keep this as close to possible to what I was told growing up. And so he chooses to kind of write them down. These are still gods. These are still people who are kind of don't have the same cultural values that he has, but they've also kind of been sanitized because we know that uh, essentially certain things about Odin, Loki, Tyr, Thor, Freya, Frigg, all these people have kind of been changed and we're only getting a snapshot of them circa the 1300s. Uh, whereas we have all these like, basically all these stories written down by Christian monks about like, oh God, the Vikings came, they kind of burnt down the, the monastery for the fourth time. Yeah, we gave them as much once. gold as we could, but they're only getting what can one, you do? They're only getting one side of the story there. They exactly. don't have the, the idea. Like if you're fighting like, and in, in, I'm going to keep referencing Assassin's Creed, especially if we're talking about Norse mythology. But as I'm playing, like you realize these people are seeing you in a completely different light than you see yourself because your basis mm -hmm. of what you're going off of is what you've been told for so long. Mm-hmm. When like when you're pulling out research for this stuff, are you just reading text and you're soaking up the information? Like, where do you find, I guess, your specific because you, you cover the scale here. You're not just dealing with Norse stuff. You're dealing with other stuff, too. Where's right. your 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 tickle button, your niche? <laughs> uh, I primarily try to do so. I'm an academic by trade. Uh, I was I'm a trained historian and I work as a writer. So I do a lot of research. I couldn't uh, tell. I'm just fucking tossing <laughs> shit at me. Come I'm, as a surprise. There, I'm sitting there trying to nod my head like, yep, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially i try to go to the original source as best i can now i don't i don't read the uh 14th century uh icelandic it's just something that i have not started on yet maybe i'll get to it one day uh so i'm going to essentially translations of the primary sources uh basically right now i'm using bellows for the norse for the irish i use a lot of different sources uh they have a lot of different things where they've written down different legends and uh a lot of it was written in latin or some of it was written in old irish uh, and I don't speak, my Irish is just really bad, <laughs> uh, which actually I, I got an email about it when I was writing season one and I was still in the process of it. I got an, uh, an email from an Irish woman who was living in Vancouver. She said, I'm so glad that someone is telling these stories, 
but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that you have been mispronouncing uh, the name of the gods. Just be happy it's there. Yeah, it was, oh, part of me was like, I mean, uh, it's a good thing that I'm telling the story, but on the other hand, it's like, I have been saying the name of the gods wrong for 25 episodes before you even told me that. It's the, the, the thing, though, is you're you're talking about something that has been so long forgotten by a lot of our culture. Mm-hmm. It's like you expect someone to be able to understand Greek or Latin handwriting when we stop teaching fucking cursive in like <laughs> first grade. It doesn't make sense. So you can't please everybody, obviously. But the fact that you're getting close is pretty damn awesome. I mean, this is something I've been binge listening to. I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts. I try and keep my head clear, but like, this has been like, this is my, this is the secret for me. This is like my inner nerd comes out where I'm like, (laughs) I love Greek mythology. I love Roman mythology. I think it's so awesome because a lot of it correlates to how we're dealing with life. Mm -hmm. I, talked to a molecular neuroscience on the podcast and he was explaining this whole way of like how people have kind of evolved from the past and i was like a lot of it seems like the movie clash of the titans where instead of receiving love and getting app or a praise from that we're much like hades feeding on all the bitter resentment that's around in our culture trying to pick at people for what they don't have and it's like pushing fingers and starting fights we've learned to feed off that rather than feed on the love and admiration of each other i mean Mm -hmm. A lot of that, it makes things better. And if you look at scenarios where a God might be of something, and that's the reason why they had so many was because that's where I look at that and say, this is why it's easier for us to understand in America, because it's not so superhero-y when you can give a God a specific job or ability like Poseidon, mm-hmm. king of the sea. But then you have Thor that has multiple different powers where it's like, fuck it. Let's just toss in like the guy who has all the super like Captain Marvel. She has every fucking power, I think. (laughs) So I'm like, I look at that. I'm like, well, that's not my favorite because that would just be like picking the top dog. I mean, like, fuck the rest. I want Spider-Man because he's a kid and he's also like, you know, he's got his hormones going and all he does is shoot webs. Mm -hmm. He can still be beat. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons like we're drawn to mythology that reflects us. So essentially, whenever we see the gods having these like brood fests where they're going out and they're just throwing a hissy fit because somebody doesn't like them, that's relatable to us. That's relatable in the sense that, well, if somebody doesn't reciprocate our feelings, maybe I'm going to go have a hissy fit. Uh, That said, the gods are also incredibly misbehaved. And as it happens, so is humanity. The gods that are more distant and more kind of just well-behaved, I would say the Egyptian gods are much more well-behaved than any of the gods we've talked about so far. Like they are just like, they're the gods of kind of like, here's their set ideas, but also they can do all this other crazy crap. Uh, And basically, whereas the Norse gods like Thor, like I would say Marvel Thor has more powers than uh, actual mythology Thor. Like Thor is incredibly strong. The reason why he's strong is he has like gauntlets on that he, that helps him lift Mjolnir. He has Mjolnir. But unlike the movies, he doesn't really have a lot of control of lightning. Now, he's called the Thunderer for a lot of reasons. It's said that whenever thunder happens, that's Thor fighting the frost giants. So that was kind of the old way of thinking of that. And kind of like how they chose to personify uh, thunder. And in in German, the word for thunder is Donner. Donner is very close to uh, the old German way of saying Thor. So basically, like, they chose to personify that. But then Thor also does all this stuff where basically, like, he is incredibly no-nonsense. He is very unapproachable and also very rude. But he also is occasionally humbled at times. There's this uh, episode where this giant is having him, his uh, human manservant, and Loki, because he and Loki always go on adventures. Uh, They have them do these impossible tasks. And 
Thor is asked to pick up a kitten the size of more or less a, a cart and he can't pick it up and he can't figure out why. So for the rest of the night, he's just kind of like, I guess I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And then the next day, the giant's like, I was just messing with you. That was the uh, Midgard serpent. You can't pick him up. He's the biggest thing in the universe. And so Thor is like, well, maybe I am as strong as I think I am. So basically, like, it shows that Thor has these dynamic emotions. All of the Norse gods have these dynamic emotions. And the Greek gods, too. They have a lot of incredible emotions. Uh, I guess one of the major differences between the Greek and Norse gods in that sense is that the Norse gods have less direct interaction in the myths with the humans who worship them. Whereas in the Greek myths, it's primarily, okay, well, this person was born of Zeus who came down in the form of a swan and decided that he was going to get busy and blah, blah, blah. Basically, the gods are direct actors in human affairs. In the Norse myths and in the way of talking about them in English and German and uh, the Scandinavian languages, those come to us and we have certain phrases about the gods, but we don't really necessarily connect to them as like, active agents in our world because asgard is technically a different world it's out there somewhere beyond the rainbow bridge it's like here's us and they're above us playing and they're mm -hmm. doing their thing and we're just looking at it like we're observing and we're giving like personification to like a storm for instance we'd be like that's right. thor battling when mm -hmm. the greek gods had influence into our lives apparently mm -hmm. from the stories and myths they would come down here mate or do whatever zeus was the main right. guy. And like Olympus is a physical location. Like all the places in Greek mythology, like we can trace them to actual places. Like we think we have an idea of what they base the river sticks on. We know where the cattle raid or the cattle drive of, uh, of Apollo was like, we have all these specific places. Like this was a nymph of this place. Uh, Zeus was raised on Crete. So that's a real place. That's a place that people in ancient Greece would have known about. Whereas in Norse mythology, Jotunheim is somewhere out in the, east <laughs> so that makes it easier for us to be able to believe in that because that's some things we can see right but then how do you have such blind faith like a, a viking to be able to kill something or kill somebody or pillage a town with a belief that you're going to go to this place and that's what they want you to do i guess that kind of gets back to just like how people choose to believe a lot of different things uh essentially like how people construct their afterlife is very different so like the greeks kind of and we have a sanitized version of the greek like uh the greek afterlife essentially like where people come to hades and like they might go to elysium or they might go to tartarus or all these other places that's a version that's not necessarily the end all version but uh basically like why is it that people go under the ground in Greek mythology? Like, why do they follow the river Styx and go to a place where the the god of it is so so terrifying that we have to name him after the place he lives, Hades? You just explained to me Hollow Earth. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, there's a lot of things like that where, like, uh, in so Herodotus, he wrote down all these things. Like, there are these people who live under the ground south of Egypt. They're called troglodytes. And there's all these people who live under the ground and this really weird stuff. But, uh, and then essentially like, we also have kind of lost some of the plot on it where like Atlantis, for example, Atlantis was meant to be a metaphor when Plato came up with it. Like we aren't sure about anything else. And Plato wrote about it and it was so profound that everybody else starts writing about it. And so now in today's society, we're like, oh, Atlantis must've been a real place. It was a metaphor originally. And we've kind of, a lot of people have kind of lost that, but. 
that's the weird part about it is just because they said they found Atlantis and what it was was I'm pretty sure that it was just it was a city that was built on a cliff and what happened was when the plate shifted after an earthquake it just drifted mm-hmm. into the sea. I don't mm-hmm. think Plantis or, or Atlantis whatever was ever a real place. I think Plato was just like Orwell. He was trying to create a <laughs> war of the worlds like fucking right. story and people mm-hmm. ran with that. But that's what's crazy is why I wish I can go back in time to be able to see this shit. And be like, what is going on? Like, what are you thinking? And the dude's writing down on a notebook. Like, I have an idea for a story. And I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> let me let me hear the story and see how we've taken that and with the storytelling effect, have mm-hmm. ran with it and turned it into something that's completely not. And honestly, through this podcast, you've made me hate the Marvel Universe <laughs> for how much they've gotten wrong. Because now I'm looking at Thor 100% different. Yeah, now Thor in... Uh... Essentially, Jack Kirby, uh, Jack Kirby, Stanley latched onto one story. It was like, okay, Thor has to be humbled. He has to be banished down to earth. And he went with that. And so essentially everything after that is kind of like Thor basically building himself up. So Thor is the defender of humanity. He's the defender of Midgard against all of these natural forces. Uh, And he's kind of like, all right, that's the Thor I'm going with. I'm not going with the Thor who is constantly threatening Loki because loki is up to basically loki causes all the all the uh problems of the gods but he also solves all the problems of the gods so basically like loki is the guy that you want to come hang out with you but you don't really want to talk to him because he has all this cool stuff he has all these magical powers he knows all he, he knows a guy for everything uh whereas in from pawn stars that always like well, uh-huh. i got a guy for that exactly like loki always has a guy for that and he'll just turn into he'll just shapeshift into whatever animal go find it and then come back and say hey that guy said that yeah he's the one who stole mjolnir um and basically like they chose certain elements and like so basically odin is closer to just our general traditional sense of like the judaic god uh and kind of with a little bit of zeus and he just happens to be missing an eye uh they don't really go into that and then like up until about 10 years ago, Freya just wasn't a part of the Marvel comics. She just wasn't there. There was a chick called Enchantress, and she was there, and she, she was, was kind of there. She was in Suicide Squad. Oh, th- th- that's DC, so that's a completely different universe. I fucking hate this clash of rivals between Marvel <laughs> and DC. Well, I mean, if, if, we, if we keep going this way, probably disney will buy dc too and we'll have a combined no, i hope we don't i actually they ruined the star separate. wars universe don't do that <laughs> that's a lore people get behind there's like top threes there's like greek mythology norse mythology mm-hmm. and then you got disney mythology which is like this is the star wars universe but then there's like i see this is i like accurate representations in movies and one of my favorite i do believe even if you hit on the slight instance of somewhat truth it mm-hmm. helps people realize this might be interesting to go research into and then you learn the actual truth. Like mm-hmm. when I first saw Hercules, I looked up the actual research into Greek mythology and realized mm-hmm. how much of it was bullshit. Yes, I mean, the movie's absolutely awful. Hera was uh, was the like the 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 perfect like the one like the jealous, you know, wife that was loyal mm-hmm. and Zeus went around banging everything so she tried to kill all of his children. But in yep. the Disney thing, she loved Hercules. I'm like that's bullshit. She mm-hmm. was behind the whole plan, and Hades yeah. is Hades in that movie invented. What are those, by the way? <laughs> That's true. That's hundred percent true. He looked at those air hercs and he said, "What are those?" And I was mm-hmm. like, "That's where it came from." <laughs> uh, 
I try like so I was trying to watch, show my kid that and like he he's just for some reason cannot latch on to Disney movies. He loves cars, he loves Pixar, but he can't really do like Disney movies. I showed him Hercules and he made it about 30 minutes before he got bored. So I was kind of like, all right, well, we have a gateway. So that's good. He didn't but, like uh, he didn't like uh Danny DeVito acting like a a really like a, a crazy Jew, I would say, as was his character. He was a satyr and he was just running all over the place complaining. I'm like, hang on a second. I don't complain at all. That's not me. <laughs> uh, for some reason, like specifically Phil in that movie is like, all right, well, I don't, I don't like this. Like, he liked everything before that. He liked the flying horse. He liked the gods and their monocolors and basically all this stuff. But as soon as we got to the satyr, he was like, I'm gonna go play with my cars now. So, but uh, I'm hoping that that can one day like be a goats, gateway. Man, he just doesn't like goats. I can't blame him. To be perfectly honest, goats terrify me. The centaur thing, I'm not a big fan of, but I'm a fan of like the half bloods, like the half kids, like mm -hmm. just to see the amazing powers and feats that people can look at and be like, that's that's a he's half man, that's half us. That means there is mm -hmm. that ability to have inside of us. I believe all these yeah. tales and all these folklore, are like that's a crazy myth. There's a reason why it's a myth, and I'm glad we know it's a myth. We're glad we know it's a story. We know it's a folklore. It's not real, but it gives us a chance to be like, wow, they thought that, and that's what gave people inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, essentially, like, in Greek mythology, we have all these embodiments of, like, here's one person right, – here's one part of a personality. Let's make that an entire race of people. So uninhibited libido, here are satyrs. They're all here. <laughs> all of them are just all about sex – and lust and kind of like natural urges that's what they are and so like basically all these other things were like all right so craftsmanship let's make that the cyclops the cyclopes or cyclopes depends on how you want to pronounce it but uh basically like they choose like let's pick one part of it and make it into an entire race or make it into an entire peoples uh and they just make it into like and, and greek mythology is, is so expansive because so much of it has survived and come down to us and not just that the romans took it and made it their own thing where they kind of built on top of it like that's one of my favorite things is that essentially the iliad and the odyssey are really fun and you get to the aeneid and it's basically fan fiction it just is like it's roman fan fiction of greek mythology where basically like all right hey you know that odyssey uh, that odysseus guy now he's a bad guy Let's imagine that he's a bad guy because he's the one who engineered the fall of Troy. And as we know, we are descended from the Trojans. So now he's the bad guy who's constantly hunting for Aeneas across Dude, the Mediterranean. It's a lot like TV today. Like when Kim Jong-un, they invite, they, uh, they introduce the sister and it's like, it's the evil sister that no one knew about. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's just like we're watching a reality television mm -hmm. show. They're just introducing yes. characters at this it's point. Like it's, it's a CW show. We're like, well, we haven't mentioned the sister all that much before. Why is she suddenly here? Where did she come from? We, we don't ran know. out of shit to write. <laughs> Basically. Uh, if, if you had to pick a lore to live in, which lore ooh. would you live in and which one would you hate to live in? Mm. Uh, I am not exactly an expert on it, but I am pretty terrified of Mayan mythology. Yeah. Like Mayan mythology is like, that is pretty fucked up <laughs> like, that's the one was, i understand the most of like their concept of thinking was you eat this warrior because you consume his flesh and his energies and i'm like mm -hmm. makes sense on that one but i wouldn't want to do that i don't think i'd ever <laughs> want to know if i could smell like human ever mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I 100% am like, it's interesting to me and I one day want to study it. And I happen to have somebody who studies, uh, I, I know a uh, archeologist who goes and does uh, research into Mayan culture and Mayan archeology. span And so I have somebody who can actually help me with the pronunciation. She named her cat after the maze god. Um, so I can have somebody help me with the pronunciation on that one. One of their but, floors uh, the one would... in their pyramid in the Mayan, one of the Mayan temples was straight for killing where they sacrificed like 15,000 people. Like mm -hmm. it was fucking, it was kids, everything. I was like, what? harvest were you hoping to get out of that it didn't make any sense but that was their plane of thinking i was like if i survived in those things or if i even survived in that mind culture i'd be dead like by the age of seven i don't think i could do it right mm -hmm. yeah no there's there's like a high infant mortality rate in a lot of these and like there's even myths about a lot of that but uh the one i would most want to live in to go back to that um I think the reason I picked Irish mythology is because it speaks to me the most and they would have places for me in their society. And so like, I can look at these gods and say like, I like everything that you are about. And basically a lot of connection with that. So like, I'm a big fan of the Dagda. I'm a big fan of Nuada. I'm a big fan of Brigid and the Morrigan, even though the Morrigan is absolutely batshit insane, terrifying. Um, but like the Irish, to me, the Irish gods are, incredibly relatable but also i think it's partially because when i was in ireland i went and i visited places where these gods had lived and died like you can visit this place that this is the burial site of lou this is the burial site of the king of the fear bulk and all these different places um and it felt incredibly like and essentially like the irish are still talking about these things in kind of like a present day sense like a like a present tense uh they they know that like these are our old stories these are kind of like we have twisted the story a lot and these are the original settlers so whether or not you want to interpret them as gods or ancestors that's entirely up to you or fairies a lot of times you could just say they're fairies um that means a and, different word today mm -hmm, yes uh but basically um to them uh it's a way of just essentially casting the physical world around them in a very real sense and that's very it speaks to me a lot. Uh, the other side of that is that uh, my, my, my I have a master's degree in Japanese and uh, basically Japanese mythology, like I have. No, no. It has that one woman with the really giant eyes and she's like a devil. I'm not in it. <laughs> no. Um, their concept of things like the underworld and one. And you know, that, now that's terrifying. And once you mix in Buddhism, that gets even weirder because then essentially your soul is kind of trapped in this perpetual reincarnation cycle. Uh, but Shinto in particular has been a particular like favorite of mine for most of my life, essentially since I was a kid and basically kind of latched onto it. Like this is before Miyazaki and all that, that people kind of got into that. So like before Spirited Away kind of introduced it to an American society, I had like these books that would introduce it to me and all these other things. And so Japanese mythology has been a favorite of mine. And then basically when it came down to it, I had to decide if I wanted to get a degree in uh, Roman or Byzantine history or in Japanese history. And I decided to, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for Japan. Uh, Cause I got into them at the same time when I was about 11 and Japan is, I mean, I, I love Japan. Japan's amazing, but so is Rome. And so are the Byzantine who are basically the Eastern Roman empire. Um, 
And so I've kind of, I, I more or less have divided my interest across all of my favorite mythologies and all my favorite cultures of the world. And so studying their history, their culture, and how they interact with one another. Because that's what, another thing is that all of these different mythologies are incredibly cosmopolitan. Like they are, they borrow from each other all the time. Like we pretend like they're separate and like we want the Greeks to just be Greek. But the Greeks have all these things that they have borrowed from the Phoenicians, from the Mesopotamians, from the Assyrians, the Hittites, and from their neighbors to the north, like the Hyperboreans and like Boreas, the north wind. He's from Thrace. Those are the neighbors directly north of the Greeks. So the north wind is just the king of these northern neighbors. That's a real place that they could point to. Uh, and essentially Aphrodite is basically verbatim the exact same as the mesopotamian love god a goddess i should say like ishtar and aphrodite are almost exactly the same like when the babylonians pointed to venus in the sky that was their love god in the sky just like when the greeks pointed to venus that was their love goddess i mean they also called her the morning star she so was that gets born into some of other... sea foam mm-hmm Yes. Which is really nuts because then once you start bringing in like Gaia into the conversation, you're like, you're going to fight the fucking earth. Like it doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Like you hear all these battles of like Zeus or whatever, some, some name, name, whoever versus Gaia. And I'm like, you're battling the fucking planet you live on. Well, how far do you think you're going to go? You make peace and she sucks you into the floor whenever she feels like it. That's in that's a, essentially when you look at cosmologies like that with the Greeks, like because the Greeks have a lot of different cosmologies about where we came from and whatnot. And Gaia is just like she's part of this larger cult of earth goddesses and earth gods. Because like Hades is technically an earth god. Because if you go underground where Hades is, that's technically under the ground. So Dionysus, Demeter, Persephone, Gaia, Rhea, all these different gods, they're all earth gods. And so they're all part of this larger continuum of gods. And so Gaia is kind of like this more distant. And some historians and archaeologists think that Gaia may have been more important before she was written down by the Greeks. Like she may have had like prior to the, uh, the Mycenaean culture, she may have been more important. But uh, there's questions about that. But basically, yeah, like we have these personifications of like she's the earth. And then like we have chaos, who's kind of like where everything came from how are they finding more information are they just finding more relics and stuff where it might predate before something else be discovered kind of uh so they're finding I don't, relics. I don't trust it all now because the fact of disney i feel like disney's like mm -hmm. we found yes. this archaeological fact and like what's that about and he goes it actually predates this i'm like you're telling me captain mm -hmm. america helped gaia stop thor what the <laughs> fuck so uh, with a lot of these things, uh, with the Greeks, we have a continuum of like, here are the ancient Greeks that we know. Here's Athens and Sparta. Then you go back about 400 years, completely different set of city-states are important. They do completely different things with their gods. And we have, oh, here's some writings that have come down to us. They're in a very different form of Greek. And then you go back a little further, and it's the Mycenaeans. The Mycenaeans are, it's a city-state that is mentioned a lot. Like, so uh, Agamemnon's the king of My Mycenae. Uh, and Hercules is technically in service to the king of Mycenae in, in like basically when he has to do all of his labors, he's doing them because the king of Mycenae is telling him to do them. Uh, and so you go back a little further and you go to the, uh, the Cretes, uh, from, you go to Crete, to the Minoans. And the Minoans, they have a different form of Greek that we can't even read yet. Uh, they have linear A and linear B. We can kind of read linear B, but we can't read linear A. And so they have a lot of things where like we can point to gods and say that looks like it's Artemis, but she's not a virgin. She's not a maiden and she's a queen. 
she's definitely a goddess and she's, she's definitely an archer but she's a she's very different hmm, that's different and so like instead of him being called zeus he's going by one of his titles that like by the time of the ancient greeks that's just one of his many titles that like you would say like thundering zeus or wise zeus and said his name back in the days of the minoans and this is an example this isn't verbatim but like his name might have just meant wisdom or it might have meant thunderer and combined like his name is essentially it evolves over time and so we're finding we're eventually learning to read these things and there's we're starting to think that maybe we can get linear a because we have a lot of documents in linear a uh, that we could potentially use a computer algorithm to read them essentially like break we, we can break into it and figure out like what, what these mean like essentially here's a sequence of characters in the proto alphabet what do they mean and essentially we could potentially use a computer to decipher that that's a, a thought doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen but uh we're more or less discovering more as we find more documents because as it happens, everything we used to write things on is pretty easy to destroy just with the passage of time. So we're essentially it's luck that we're finding a lot of these. It all boils down to what is your concept on this earth that we're on? Where does it where does it stay? Is it on the back of a fucking turtle? Is it being <laughs> held up by a giant jacked Arnold guy? Like, you know. Mm -hmm. What is the concept of what do you want to believe and what do you find is the route that you want to go down? And honestly, if I was going to pick a God that I had to personify for myself, it'd probably be Prometheus because I would yes. end up doing mm -hmm. something to help somebody. And then I would end up getting fucking tortured for all of mankind. <laughs> yes. And uh, no, Prometheus has always been one that I've always latched onto, which has also for the exact same reasons. Prometheus is almost exactly like John Milton's version of, uh, not exactly. There's a lot of differences, but Prometheus has a lot of things in common with Loki and a lot of things in common with Satan in the sense that oh, right. uh, like Prometheus chooses to bring to us fire, chooses to bring to us civilization. And he's tortured in much the same way that Loki is tortured underneath. Uh, essentially, uh, Loki is tortured because a snake is kind of has its mouth open above him and it's dripping on his face constantly. And his wife is kind of occasionally getting it, but she has to pour out the bowl. So sometimes it gets on his face and he's bound by Odin to this rock for all of eternity. And Prometheus is bound to this rock for at least until Hercules comes and lets him out uh, to this rock for doing something that was against the gods. And in different versions of different lore about Satan, there's uh, a lot of different things where he's done things to kind of like maybe help humanity. So like, why did he want Eve to eat the apple? Or if you go with the uh, Yazidi version uh, of Satan, he's not called Satan. He's called something different. He is uh, essentially, he was told by God to bow before no one. All the other angels bow before humanity when God tells them to. He stops and says, hey, wait, you told us not to bow before anyone. I'm not going to do it. And so because of that, God makes that version, which I like to call Peacock Satan because he's a peacock. Uh, Peacock Satan, he makes him into the king of angels, more or less, where he's kind of like the Lord of angels, because he was the only one who listened to God's original command that angels are above all other beings, aside kind from of, God. Kind of like the movie Legion, where Michael betrays uh, mm -hmm. God and all of his orders. You know that movie where they, they turn into like aliens and shit? I have, I remember having seen it, but it's been a minute. It's been, it's fucking, he's like, I didn't give him what he wanted, I gave him what he needed, and I was like, damn. <laughs> Great quote. And then I gave him the thumbs up. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. uh, 
it is that concept of there it seems like everyone that is considered evil even though they do have this evil kind of intent inside of them which i believe is spurred upon a get a, a force back i would say against a higher power or something that's telling them what they mm-hmm. need to be and what they need to do and i think that's why man closely relates to that a little bit on the concept of we are always told what to do but doesn't mean we always have to follow orders like a soldier it means we need to still be ourselves at times and especially in times of struggle mm-hmm Yes. And that's why we always fall back on these gods that are relatable. So like when you are getting on a boat to sail across the North Sea to go raid the English coast, you need a god on your side that looks like what you're about to do. That's why they prayed to Tyr. That's why they prayed to Odin. That's why they prayed to Thor, that these are war gods who are going to help them. And they also had on their side these Valkyrie who were going to come and take them to Valhalla. So you have all these different gods that look like you that are coming with you and to give you hope and to give you uh, power. So like essentially before you like Odin, give me the strength to defeat your enemies. And if, uh, and if I am to fall, bring me to your halls. So basically like you're a very cyn- cynical way of looking at it is you're hedging your bets is that, okay. If I end up succeeding, it's because Odin wants me to, if I end up failing, that's okay. Odin will bring me to his halls. If you're holding the ax. <laughs> yes so basically different things like you have to have die with an axe in your hand and nobody says things. that fine fucking detail the dude just kills himself and next thing you know he's like wait a minute i didn't have my axe and it's like oh well now you're going somewhere else <laughs> yes and <clears throat> we like to ignore a lot of different things in norse mythology like all, so valhalla specifically for the people who die in glorious battle but then like there's other places you can go to we just don't talk about it so like Frey is the god of like people who die who are good so otherwise, if you can, if you look at it, there's either like you die gloriously in battle or you go and you have to build a ship out of toenails in Helheim. You know how long that would fucking take if you don't have crazy glue. I know we're experiencing some technical difficulties. I, I we have a thunderstorm going on uh, here in uh, Maryland too. So my internet's been going in and out, but we're going to wrap the show. Dude, you've given me plenty of time. I appreciate you for giving me a history lesson, dude, to be honest with you. I, this is like probably one of the podcasts I really didn't have to talk. And that was, it was interesting to learn. I really enjoyed that, but um, please let everybody know, Greg, where they can find your podcast, where they can find all your links. Uh, so we are primarily, uh, the biggest presence we have is on Twitter at the Goddessy Podcast. Uh, there you can get pretty much daily during the week updates on different mythology. I just people dip, pick different themes and I just go for it. Uh, I can also be found uh, anywhere fine podcasts are sold. Uh, you just type in Goddessy and you can get the entirety of the first season. The second season drops next month. That's where we start getting into Odin. Uh, and otherwise, Goddessy has a presence on Facebook and we'll be getting an Instagram shortly, but uh, those are in progress works in progress much like most of mythology apparently you can (laughs) add more shit to it yep hey thanks for checking out the podcast if you want to visit itunes or apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcast rate review subscribe and even share the show helps me out leave me a little something like a little message about oregano or domino's pizza or how papa john's is evil Thanks for checking out Out of the Blank Podcast.